God. Well, it's a grand time to be together. It's an unenviable position to be the only thing standing between a group of Pentecostals and lunch. It's a kind of unfortunate position to find oneself in. But you're so very kind. I want to thank you for being so great to preach to last night. Let me just unburden my soul about something that and Brother Hughes, when, that God's been speaking to me about of late. And, and just, you're, you're so sweet. And I thank you so much. It's, um, it's a grand honor for me to get to be here. And I pray that God will help me to keep my attitude and spirit right. My kids help me stay grounded. They really do. They really do. That, that little story that the lieutenant governor told last night about his boy. That's beautiful. That's just great. Easter Sunday morning, several years ago, my daughter was in kindergarten. I have a son. Um, I should tell you, my daughter is uh, 13, and my son Jeremy, Jessica is 13, and my son Jeremy is 17. In a year, he's got a chance to be 18. On Easter Sunday morning, a few years ago, Jessica was at kindergarten. We were, it was during my youth division days, and we were, I was preaching in a church at North Central Illinois, and we were staying in some evangelist quarters at the church. The pastor had given me a key to his office, told me I could use it on Sunday morning to ready myself for church. And so I'd gotten up early, and my kids weren't up yet when I got up. And I went off to the pastor's office, and I was just there until church time. And so when I came down through the auditorium, my family was there. It was the first time I had seen my family that, that morning, well, first time I'd seen them conscious. And Jessica was all dolled up for Easter, man. You know how it is. Got the big frilly dress and the curls and blonde hair and blue eyed and sun. She looks some kind of forever more cute. So I stopped and made over her a little bit. She said, Daddy, she's in kindergarten. She said, I can spell your first name. I said, well, let's hear it. She, she got it right, you know. She said, S-C-O-T-T. I said, that's so good, sweetheart. And she said, well, it's on the screen up in the front of the church up there. I said, well, you cheated a little bit. She said, no, wait. She said, oh, Daddy. She said, I've seen your name lots of places. I felt pretty good about that. The male ego kicked in. Camp meeting flyers, general conference programs. I was feeling pretty good. My little baby girl has seen her daddy's name on youth congress programs. And I asked the fateful question. I said, sweetheart, where have you seen daddy's name? She said, toilet paper holders. Pump me up. Pop. Just to help keep me grounded. Uh, my wife got a lot of mileage out of that right there. Yeah. She said, you might be the general youth president there, but else. 
to her, you're just paper products. That's all you are right there. And really nothing's changed. I'm still paper products to my children. It's just green rectangular ones about that big with presidential pictures on them. And that's still what I am. And I thank you for your kindness and the opportunity to come and, and be a part of this today. And I regret that I do have to travel home. My wife and I are heading out on a missions uh, trip to Mexico tomorrow. So I have to fly home today. And I regret that. You're going to be blessed by great ministry all week long. And I, and I am thankful for that. I wish I could share with you. I want to read from Genesis chapter 13 today. Brother Cox, thank you so much. Members of the district board, I honor you today. I do give honor to these great men and thank you for your trust in allowing me to preach at this great camp meeting. If I was you, I'd start making plans right now if the Lord doesn't come to be here. I'd be here every year if I was you, but I'd sure enough plan to be here in six years. I mean, that's going to be the to-do of all to-dos when you all have your 100th camp meeting. My Lord, that's awesome. 94 years. That's just a little more than I am. Genesis 13, verse number 1. Bible says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai. Under the place of the altar which he had made there at the first, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. And here is why that can't ever be. For we be brethren. We do a disservice when we look at one another and call one another friends. Because we are something far deeper than just friends. We be brethren. Some months ago, I was privileged to be in Branson, Missouri with some representatives from your district at Shepherd's Camp. I was so honored to get to be a part of that and share some scriptures there with them. And briefly at a banquet setting, I talked about this topic, but I really felt constrained by the Holy Ghost to come this morning and just remind us of something. Look around. This is your family. Do you, do you see what you're seeing here today? You, you're, this is family, folks. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We be brethren. I'm going to preach today about the bond of brethren. Amen. You can be seated. God bless you. In the book of Proverbs, the Lord seeks, thank you, sir. The Lord seeks to describe, to depict for us the closeness of his relationship with us. Proverbs 18 and verse 24, he says, A man that hath friends must show himself friendly 
And he says, there is a friend that's even closer than... Isn't that interesting? That God, in his effort to express how close he would be to us, uses as the epitome of a tight bond the unity and closeness that comes from a brother. He doesn't say, I'll be a friend that'll stick closer to you than your mama. He didn't say, I'll be a friend that sticks closer to you than your spouse. He says, if you want to know how tight I'm going to be, I'm going to be closer to you than even your brother. It would seem to me that he's saying that on this earth, you ought to expect that there'll be nobody that'll ever be closer to you, more loyal to you, more accessible to you than would be your brother that's why it is vital that we recognize and reaffirm the closeness of our relationship with one another we refer to one another as brother and sister not because it's like some secret handshake in a club this isn't just little secret names, something we got and somebody gave us the inside card and said, well, now that you're part of the church, we've got this little secret way we refer to each other. He's not Brother Cox just out of respect, although he merits that. And these men are not brother whomever just because I don't know their first name. It is more than that. When we look at one another and we declare brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, it is an affirmation of the relationship Relationship that we share. I, I'll do it this way. I, I was on an elevator one time in a hotel. I was speaking at a youth gathering, and they had me in a very lovely hotel, tall building, and I got on the elevator to go up, and it happened that that hotel was also hosting a Lions Club gathering. And I got on that hotel, on, on that elevator, and, and, and it stopped at the, the second floor. I got on the lobby. It stopped the second floor where all the meeting rooms were. That's where the Lions Club was together. And, and, and about 10 Lions got on the elevator. And I know they were Lions because they kept referring to one another. And they kept saying things like, Lion Smith, what do you think about that? And the other one said, Lion Johnson, I think we ought to do so-and-so. Where are you going for lunch there, Lion Brown? And I'm in the back of the elevator getting real tickled. Watching grown men refer to each other as Lion Johnson. See, because I grew up out in the country with a little bit of a southern accent. And Lion Johnson was somebody you wouldn't buy a used car from. I said, don't trust him. That's old Lion Johnson. <laughs> But here's these grown men in this elevator not embarrassed at all to refer to each other as Lion Johnson and Lion Brown and Lion Smith because what they were bearing testimony to is he and I have something in common and we're on the same side and we may not understand everything eye to eye but let's understand one thing. We're part of the same entity. We'll stand shoulder to shoulder. Oh, you're not hearing me just yet. That's why I think it's important for us to still maintain that thing of brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so because what we're telling hell is we're standing shoulder to shoulder in this thing. We're on the same side. <laughs> 
We're the family of God. We've got some things in common. We're not just friends. We're brothers. We're not just church members. We're brothers. We're not just acquaintances. We've got something tighter than that that binds us together. And we are brethren. Abraham and Lot are on their way coming from Egypt back in their journeys, they visit back at a place where there had been, they had cast their tent once before between the towns of Bethel and Hai. It's an interesting little place. There's a, a lesson probably in this, but Bethel means the house of God, and Hai literally means the heap because archaeologists tell us that city was built on top of a garbage dump. It's fascinating that he built an altar somewhere between the house of God and the heap of garbage of this world. The even more fascinating thing is that other altars he builds, God speaks to him. But he stopped at that altar twice and God didn't say one word to him. It seems like God doesn't have much respect for an altar that's built somewhere between church and the world. But that's not my message. It's really not. It's just, it was too good not to mention both of them are very wealthy. Abram and Lot both have, have great wealth and herds and flocks. And the Bible records for us that the herdsmen began to strive. They began to fuss and fight. I can almost see the visual picture as they would crest a hill and they would begin to come down into a valley and there would be a limited water supply down there. There was only enough water for perhaps some of the animals or at the very least it would get muddied by their passage and it would be unfit for those that would come later. And the herdmen of Abram's cattle would begin to push them saying come on let's get down there first and the herdmen of Lot's cattle would be coming from this way until finally they would collide at that water hole and tempers would flare and tensions would mount and harsh words would be spoken and blows would be struck the best grazing land began to be fought over and the best opportunities began to be fought over and the best chances for their flocks to increase began to be fought over until finally Abraham comes to Lot and he he says, Lot, let's get something straight. I understand there's some strife. I understand there's some problem. And I just want to go on record, Lot. I don't care if we fuss over water holes. I don't care if there's not enough grass. I don't care if all that stuff goes down. We better keep one thing abundantly straight. We are brethren. And we can't have strife. And we can't be fighting. And we can't be fussing. Because this isn't about my water hole and it's not about my pasture. It's about his sheep and we're not going to be fighting with one another. Oh, come on, somebody. It's not about my town and it's not about your town and it's not about your church and it's not about my church. It's all about his church. And there comes a point where we got to link arm in arm and say our relationship just prohibits some things. We can't fight. We can't fuss. We can't be ugly. We can't have attitudes. We can't have strife because we are brethren. Well, I'm running up against a little daytime stump right here. And so if that means I got to back off and let you have the first shot at the water hole, we're brothers. And if that means I got to back off and let your sheep have the first shot at the pasture, we're brothers. And if that means, God forbid, somebody takes my parking place and sits in my pew and somebody else gets to sing the solo with the choir, 
It's more than my ego and it's more than my feelings and it's more than how I like and what I don't like. Let's understand something right now. We are brothers. And if you don't pastor your church just like I pastor mine and I don't pastor mine just like you pastor yours, one thing ain't going to change, honey. Oh, I wish I had a preaching church this morning. We, we may disagree on some things, but there's some things we agree on. It's Jesus' name. It's Holy Ghost infilling. It's holy living. It's walking for God. And on those things we agree, I'm going to link arms with you. <laughs> and I'm going to say, I refuse to get an attitude. I refuse to fight. I refuse to be ugly. I refuse to condemn you. I refuse to throw rocks at you. We are Brethren! I want you to understand this bond is tight. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friend. The Lord lays that down as the ultimate in love between friends. It doesn't get any higher than that between friends. Show me a friend that'll give his life for his friend, and I'm showing you the very epitome of friendship. But notice what is expected of brethren. 1 John 3 and 16. Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid his life down for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. (laughs) If we were just friends, it'd be very rare. But honey, I better be willing to die for you and you better be willing to die for me because we're something higher than just friends. We are brethren. The Bible says in Proverbs that he that repeated the matter separates very friends. The Bible says in Proverbs that a whisperer can separate chief friends. But can't nothing separate you and me because we're brothers. <laughs> I've got two sisters. They are, ooh, I almost said how much older than me they are, but I told you how old I was last night, and that would give away their age, and that could get me in trouble. I love them. I'd fight for them. But I fought with them. (laughs) Sit there and act sanctimonious like you didn't. Go ahead. Sit there and give me that little religious look like you're so holy the water parts when you start to take a bath. That's all right. My sisters and I have fought. You understand me? <laughs> when I was in school, there were twin brothers in my class. I was in a small school in, in southern Illinois there, and, and, and there were 34 kids in my graduating class, 34 total student enrollment in my graduating class. I went up to University of Illinois, and, and there's kids coming to, there from classes in Chicago. They had 2,000 kids in their class, the big as my hometown. And they'd get to talking about class rank. Where did you rank in your class? Well, you know, you got 2,000 kids in there. Somebody'd say I was 34th. And they'd all go, ooh. The guy that was 34th in my class couldn't tie his shoes, you know? So 
it was just different somehow. We had twin brothers in my class, Ronnie and Donnie. Ronnie was right-handed. Donnie was left-handed. We, we have, what, what we got? Did I, did I hit it? Am I a prophetic word here today? Are you a twin? Ha <laughs> ha! That's beautiful. And in mine, Donnie was left-handed. Hello. And Ronnie was right-handed. My goodness, it's good to have a prophetic utterance in the house. I am trusting this is where the story ceases to bear similarity. At least I pray so. Ronnie and Donnie fought every day. And 90% of you just looked at him right then. That was hysterical. The whole congregation went. Ronnie and Donnie fought every day. And being one southpaw and one right hand, it made for good fights. They would fight over everything. They'd fight over who was the better fighter. They'd fight over which direction the sun came up yesterday and which direction it'd come up tomorrow. And I'm not talking about arguing, fighting. I'm talking about throw down, fist swinging, teeth bared, knuckle dragging, fighting. Every day. I remember one day in physical education, they got in a fight in the locker room that the coach had to pull them apart. And then we walked out of there to play a very Christian game called Kill Ball. This involved principally airing up little rubber balls until they were as hard as iron, putting them out in the middle of the gym, dividing up in two teams, and then running at the whistle to get those balls and try to dismember other members of your class. We had a guy in our class whose name shall remain unmentioned who was scouted by the St. Louis Cardinals as a high school pitcher. Friend, he could bring it. Are you hearing me? When he picked that ball up in that game, I was never closer to God in all my life. He he would take hide off of you with that thing. And we got to play in that game that day just moments after Ronnie and Donnie had tried to kill one another. And and, and that big old bruiser who had had been like four years in second grade and was one of the few guys driving himself to fifth grade and that kind of stuff, picked up that ball with muscles bulging and caught up on the blind side of Donnie Linkefelter and and, and from about this range just, just... and caught him in the side of the head with that ball, left both his tennis shoes on the floor and compelled him across the room. Now, I would have expected at that moment that Ronnie Linkefelter would have run over and taken up a cash offering for that big old boy because he did just exactly what he had been trying to do moments before. But instead, I watched the most amazing thing as Ronnie ran across the room and jumped up in the air and landed on that big old bruiser and started pounding on his head saying, don't do that to him, that's my brother. How dare you hurt him, that's my... He said, he and I may not get along and he and I may have problems, but get one thing straight. If you lay hands on him, you're going to deal with me. If you touch him, you're going to have to fight me. I wish to God the United Pentecostal Church would stare down the devil and say, we may not always agree on everything, but if you touch his church, I'm going to get in the prayer room. If you touch his family, I'm going to get in the prayer room. 
you're going to have to deal with me because that's my brother. We are brethren. And we're compelled by love for one another. Not whether or not we like one another. You got that sanctimonious look again. I love a lot of people I don't like. Well, I wish I was as holy as you are. I got to love my enemies. I don't much like them. I love a lot of people I don't want to go on vacation with. But when it comes down to it, I'll go to the mat for you. And I'll fight every devil out of hell for you. Come here, bud. Jump up here, hoss. My goodness. If I'd have known he looked, I wouldn't have been scared at all last night if I'd had his sentence. Do you see the resemblance? Oh, now wait, wait, hold it, hold it. Jesus is my daddy. Who's yours? Jesus. The, the church is my mother. Who's yours? The church. My family name is Jesus. What's yours? Jesus. Uh, the blood flowing in my, brain, in my veins is Jesus' blood. How about yours? Jesus' blood. See, if we've got the same blood and the same name and the same daddy and the same mother, I want to tell you right now, Come here, bud. Come here. I want to tell you right now, you're looking at my brother. And if your wretched attitude doesn't let you say that about somebody that looks different than you, you better get to the altar and repent. If your church is so lily white that people of color aren't even welcome there, you better get to the altar and repent. Because we are brethren. Don't you give me that ignorant mess about, well, this is the South. I don't care if it's Southern Bolivia, honey. This is the kingdom of God. This is his church. And he said, when we get up there, we're going to be with every kindred and every tribe and every nation and every tongue. And our churches better be welcome like that down here. We are brethren. God, adjust our thinking to understand that unity is not the same as uniformity. I read a fascinating incident about Joseph. When his brothers came in in front of him, he was broken and he wept. He cried. I've pondered that. I wonder why it was he wept. Was it for joy at seeing them again? I don't really think that was it. Because Genesis 41, 51, he called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. For God, he said, hath caused me to forget all my father's house. And I, and I don't really think it was for anger. Because in Genesis 45 and 5, he said, don't be angry at yourself. You meant this for evil. God meant it for good. I wonder, perhaps, 
if the reason he wept was that the last time he saw those boys, they were big stalwart, healthy, well-fed, strong, muscular men. And now he sees them after the ravages of a famine that have driven them out of their country, clear down there to come buy food. And their arms are withered and their bellies are bloated and their faces, their cheeks are sunken. And he sees them weakened and hurt by the famine. I just wonder if Joseph didn't say, you know what? You may have wronged me and you did. And you may have hurt me and you did. But if I see you hurting, I'm not going to hold on to that grudge any longer. I'm not going to drag that up any longer. All I care about is that you're my brother and you're hurting today and I want to I want to weep with somebody that weeps and I want to rejoice with somebody that rejoices God help us to be moved when our brother is hurting and God help us to celebrate when our brother is rejoicing I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say I'm sorry. I'm not sorry, but I, I get weary with that ignorant mess. Somebody has a great move of God, a great revival, and 47 people want to call it into question. Well, I wonder what he's doing. I wonder if they're really getting the Holy Ghost. I wonder if he's letting down. I wonder if he... Why don't we just leave that in God's hands and throw our hands up and say, thank you, Jesus, my brother's having revival. Thank you, Jesus, my brother's seeing good things. I would to God we'd celebrate one another's victories. Well, I better move on from that, but that's true nonetheless. The Bible talks in many places about the hearts of men and women being knit together. David and, John, David and Jonathan, the Bible says their souls were knit together. Colossians 2 and 2 talks about our hearts being comforted, being knit together in love. Think about what that says. Taking these different threads and these different colors and these different textures and the master weaves them together, knits them together until together we become something that we could never be by ourselves. Body of Christ is made up of brothers and sisters. And why is this so important? Why does it matter so much? I would tell you today that the bond of brethren is important because it has certain benefits in it. I want to tell you, first of all, here today, just stay with me a little bit longer, is that when we are one, there is great strength for victory. My, my superintendent last year at our district conference explained it this way. He said, here's how it works. When I say something real good, you say amen. <laughs> I'm here to tell you we can do more together than we could ever do separate. Collectively, we can accomplish more than we ever could on our own. There's something when we get together that God says you can accomplish something wonderful when you are one. Look at Genesis 11 and 6. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. You're talking about a bunch of people that said, We're going to build a tower into the heavens. No hydraulics, no cranes, no, no heavy equipment, and yet they said, we're going to build a tower into the heavens. It would be easy for us to say, oh, that's stupid. They can't possibly pull that off, but God said they've all got one idea, and they're all talking about one thing, and they're all got shoulder to shoulder, and they can do anything they set their minds to if they all are one. I just wonder what Louisiana could do if everybody got to talking about
one thing. We're going to have revival. We're going to reach the lost. We're going to be for one another. We're going to link arms. We're going to join together. And we're going to do something great for God. Nothing shall be restrained from them if they are one. I'm not sure the world has yet seen what can happen when a group of people all talk about one thing and he gets the glory for what gets done. Ezekiel, go preach to that outfit. It's a bunch of old dead dry bones. Preach to them anyway. And so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a shaking And the bones came together. And then they stood up on their feet, an exceeding great army. Because God said, I can take anybody and make a great army out of them if I can just shake them to their core and then bring them together. How shall one chase a thousand and two chase two thousand? No, no. Two of us chase ten thousand. If I understand exponents, three chase a hundred thousand and four chase a million and five chase ten million because it's not about adding what I can do. But when I join my hands with you together, together, we can do something great for God. There is great strength for victory when we're one. There is amazing stability for perseverance when we're one. Ecclesiastes 4, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. We've got this, you know, I, I am, listen, I am so unbelievably proud to be a citizen of the United States of America. If you cut me, I, I bleed red, white, and blue, and stars fly out. Do I think it's a perfect country? Of course not. It's human government. It'll never be perfect. But I still maintain it's the greatest nation on the face of the earth, and I'm proud to be here. My daddy was a Korean War vet, and if you wanted to get in trouble now, I don't mean tomorrow or five minutes from now. If you wanted to get in trouble now, just let the flag go by without getting up putting your hand over your heart. My dad standing with his hand over heart and slapped me in the back of the head and never moved his hand. I don't know how he did it, but he did it. But there is a danger in our culture of this rugged individualism, this Western mentality, pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I don't need anybody else. That's a lie. I need you. And like it or not, you need me. And if we're going to stand, it's going to be because we help one another when somebody falls. Not get around on some internet forum and talk about how they messed up. Not sit around at Starbucks and say, what a tragedy. He said, when they fall, their fellow helps them up. I, I I grew up in the Midwest. And then we didn't have all the pine trees like you've got down here, but we had big hardwood forests, maples and oaks and elms and all those big hardwoods. And, and, and I know this about those trees. I know that however much wood you see above the ground, on average there's that much wood beneath the ground. That's the rule. If it's 30 feet high, the roots are 30 feet deep. That's the general rule. 
So here a few years ago, I was out in, out in San Francisco, pray for me, and I went up over the bridge into, into uh, South Saleto and, and up into Muir Woods where the big redwoods grow. Sun. Unbelievable. 300 feet tall. You stand there and look forever. It's unbelievable. And I thought, man, what roots they must have. And then I got back to the ranger station and I read that the roots of the average redwood go down into the soil three feet. And I thought, all right. How does a 300-foot-tall tree possibly stand when the wind blows with roots that are only three feet deep? Jump up here, Bo. Because it said, stand right there, you make good redwood. It said, it said because their roots only go down three feet, but they go out for a mile. And in that mile, they find the roots of another redwood. And they weave their roots together. And he said, the first thing you know, the wind isn't blowing against one tree. It's blowing against the whole forest. And so when that tree's under attack, this tree grabs a hold of him and says, I won't let you go. I won't let you fall. I won't let you quit. I won't give up on you. I believe in you. We're going to stand. We're going to make it. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to believe for you. They have their roots into the common soil and they hold on to each other. I asked that ranger, I said, is that right? He said, I can take you right now out into our forest and show you trees that died years ago. But the ones around them won't give up on them. He said, I'm just going to hold on. Because there might be a little spark of life somewhere. There might be a little sap flowing down there somewhere. And it'd be a shame for somebody to kick them over and say, we're done with you as long as there's a chance. I'm going to hold on to him. I'm going to keep praying for him. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. We need one another. But we've got this wretched ego. <laughs> one of my favorite little comic strip panels out of a leadership digest from several years ago showed this group of guys in suits and ties sitting around a table at a restaurant and all of them the coffee cups are there and the dirty dishes and they've all got these big Pinocchio noses out about this long and the caption said the monthly pastor's breakfast was going just fine until somebody asked the fateful question, how's your church doing? <laughs> because we wear great masks, don't we? How are you? Fine. Doing great. God help us, why can't we be transparent with each other? The Saturday night before Youth Congress in 2001, we were getting ready to go to Atlanta. And I was home that weekend. We were leaving out Monday morning. I woke up at 4 o'clock Sunday morning. And I went down to check on my daughter. 
who has the ability to kick covers to the high four corners of the heavens. So I went down to cover her up, and I went walking down the hallway. Now, it's my fault. It is. I, I forgot that my wife had already packed and left her suitcase in the hall. A suitcase which contains enough goods to rival the gross domestic product of some third world nations. And I'm barefoot because I don't sleep in steel-toed boots. So I am tooling down the hall to go check on my daughter. When the little piggy that went wee-wee-wee all the way home caught the wheel on her suitcase at full stride. That's what I said. And I, I buckled. And I stuck my foot into my daughter's room where there was a little nightlight so I could see it. And much to my dismay, there were four toes pointing north One toe pointing due east. My wife said, I didn't even hear you holler. I said, sweetheart, I I quoted scripture. Oh, I did. I I want you to know at 4 o'clock in the morning when, when you've got a right angle in your toes, there is a verse of scripture that applies. There is. James said, brethren, these things ought not so to be. My wife said, I bet that hurt. I said, well, I thought it did. It really didn't. When I reached down and grabbed that rascal and pointed it back north, that's when it hurt. And I didn't go to the doctor because all he was going to do is tape it up and charge me 500 bucks. So I just taped it up, paid myself 200 bucks, and felt good about the savings. I went in and took a shower. I taped that foot up as tight as I could get it. It was about 4.30 in the morning by this point, and I got dressed for church. I did because I knew if I didn't put my shoes on then, wasn't no shoes going on. So I got the biggest pair of shoes I've got. I put them on, I put my suit on, I got dressed, and I sat up from then till church time. And I went to church determined that nobody was going to know there was anything wrong with me. Sweat beating out across my brow. Praise the Lord. Because it's hard to be real heroic. You know, if, 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 I had, if I had lost my toe rescuing some little old lady from the train tracks, then I'd have been on crutches. But, it, you know, when all you've done is punt a Samsonite, it's kind of hard. And so I'm not letting anybody know. How are you? Fine. And then as soon as they went around the corner... the next person came in doing fine you know what's amazing thing there were all kinds of people there that loved me 
there's any number of people that would have gone without me even asking twice to go pull my car up to the front door. There would have been any number of people that would have, would have moved to give me a seat that was easier to get to. There's all kinds of people that would have helped me if I had just been willing to let somebody know I was hurt. But my stinking pride brings me to camp meeting and I put on my Pentecostal face and I act like I can do it myself and I hear the Spirit of God saying, come on somebody. I brought you here to have you with your family. You can trust people here that you can't trust any place else. You can believe in people here you can't believe in any place else. If you just join hands one with another, if you just link arms one with another, if you just go up to somebody and say, would you just put me on your prayer list for the next 30 days I'm facing a mountain there's people here that would push away from the table and fast with you and pray for you come on somebody we are brethren stand with me I'll finish right here there's another thing that happens when we're one and I'm not sure I expected it when I looked into the scriptures there's another thing that happens when the body of Christ is one. We're strong for victory. We're stable. There's no wind can blow us over. But there's another thing that happens that I think maybe I didn't think of. When we're one, we influence the lost. Well, I didn't make this up. I can show this to you. John 17 and 21, what we know as the high priest prayer of the Lord. He says this. That they may be one as thou also may be one in us why that the world may believe that thou hast sent me Jesus said there's something about it when my church is one it causes belief in the world the world needs us to recognize our brethren there's an interesting phrase in the text that I read to you. I'm going to look at here in just a minute. They'll have the verse ready in just a moment. There's an interesting line that I, I'm afraid I kind of skipped over in that story when I f was first reading it. Abram hears about the strife. He hears about the fussing. And yes, he says, we can't have that because we're brothers. But interestingly, there's a little line stuck in the middle that seems kind of out of place. Look at verse 7 in Genesis 13. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle, the herds of Lot's cattle. Look at that next line. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram went to Lot and said, this can't be because there's sinners around us, Lot. Lot, the reason we don't have time to be comfortable is there's sinners out there, Lot. And they know what we claim to be. They're watching us a lot. And it's time for us to be what we've advertised. We be brethren. Are you ever going to agree with me on everything? No, because there's some things you'll just choose to be wrong about. Are you ever going to be exactly like me? No, and thank God for it. Brother Hughes referenced how his wife wouldn't like it if he said, 
how little of me can you handle? I'm not sure my wife likes it when I say, how much of me can you stand? Perhaps there is that little thread of that even among the body. We're so close and we know so much about each other that inevitably we see one another's flaws. But folks, somewhere along the line, the Canaanite and the Perizzite are wanting to know, can you love me? Because if you can't love those people you worship with every week, I'm not entirely sure you can love me. If you, can't, if you can't love somebody that pulls up in a decent car and a clean suit and smells like they know what the word bath means, can you really love me? When I come from where I came from, smelling like I smell. If, if, if you can't love somebody just because you wanted to teach that class and they got to teach it, can you really love me? I've had five husbands and the one I have now is not my husband. Am I welcome there? We be brethren. You know what I'd love to see? It's, I don't even know what time it is. It's 10 after 12. I I would really love to see if maybe just for a moment here, I'm aware of the day and the time, but I wonder if just for a moment some folks would like to affirm your brotherhood tonight. I, I wonder if just for a moment you'd like to gather up around the front of this place. Not not kneeling, just standing shoulder to shoulder. Join hands with somebody, put an arm around somebody's shoulder and say, you know what? We're brothers. I just would like to invite the congregation. I realize some of you probably need to go, but I'd just like to invite the family, the body of Christ here in Louisiana to just come. See, a lot of you just standing, I'm not going to do that. They don't need me. Yeah, we do need you. I need every one of you. We need each other. I wish you'd come up here and just join arms with someone. It'd be really good if you find somebody you don't even know and just come up here to the altar with them and join hands with them. Put an arm around their shoulder and say, you know what? I I don't even know you, but I I love you and you're my brother and I believe in you and I'll I'll pray for you and I'll care for you. If you're limping, I'll help you get to your car. And If you're wounded, I won't laugh at your injury. I'll I'll care about you and I'll love you and I'll have time for you. You can trust me. I won't share things that you tell me other places. You can trust me. Please don't stop in the aisle. Please please come on up. Please don't stop in the aisle. Please don't stop right there. Come on up. There's room for folks behind you to come on and gather in close. This is just a little family moment here today. I wouldn't God we'd come and knit our hearts together.